on the kicking game, what you've seen from these transfers so far? Well, it's a lot better than last year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if I had any eligibility, I'd have kicked last year. They all can play here. Um, they all are not going to be able to play at the same time. <laughs> so we're going to have some, you know, some difficult choices to make. But, you know, each one of them, you know, has some, you know, different characteristics that kind of um, allude to what I mentioned in terms of I think each guy can do some things differently and we're going to have to be, um, you know, putting together the offense to highlight their skill set. So we, we have a lot of good individual players, you know, but this game isn't about individuals, right? We, we, this is why it's the best game there is, right? I mean, we, it takes 11 people doing their job, right? So we're not to a point here where we can start talking about individuals until we decide, okay, hey, we comprehend what it takes to be a team, right? Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And made, we got a show lined up for you. Went a little heavy on the last episode with Texas A&M, Auburn, and Kentucky because of the spring games. Now it's time to recap some of the other action that happened across the SEC over the weekend. It was a, a pretty packed weekend leading up to what is going to be just a loaded, loaded weekend on Saturday with all these spring games. But Hey, before we get rolling here with uh, the news around the league, wanted to make a quick note here. And this is just how confusing it is with uh, all these transfers and intra-conference transfers and deadlines and all this. So I was a little bit confused, so I want to clarify so I don't confuse the audience here. But So there's a there is an upcoming deadline, May 1st. You have to be in the transfer portal by May 1st if you want to be eligible to play in the upcoming college football season. But I overlooked the fact the SEC's got their own rule. You got to be in the transfer portal by February 1st, which is, of course, long in our rearview mirror, if you want to transfer from one SEC program to another SEC program. So that's more than likely going to knock players like Amarius Mims and Ajay Hall from transferring to another SEC school unless they plan on sitting out next season. Now, I do not know if that February 1 deadline applies to graduate transfers. I don't think that it does. And here's the other... Man, I said it was confusing. Just (laughs) give me a second here. But I do not know if that February 1 deadline is in play if you file for a waiver. I don't know if the NCAA... Is still giving out waivers now that they we've got the one-time transfer rule. But you better believe, uh, you know, if somebody, let's say, Mims wants to go to Florida, he's probably going to apply for that waiver. And someone like, maybe like a Jai Hall, maybe he wants to go to somewhere like Arkansas. Maybe he'll file, file that waiver. I don't know. Just pure speculation on my part. I have no idea if those guys even want to stay in the SEC. But just something I wanted to clarify. So once again, May 1st, you got to be in the transfer portal. You do not have to announce where you're going, but you do got to be in the portal to play next season. And according to SEC rules, if you're leaving one SEC program intending to go to another, you have to be in that portal by February 1st. So 
basically anybody in the SEC jumping to that portal at this point in time, looking to go outside the league. But that means the rest of the country, any marquee player jumps into that portal by May 1st, the SEC is going to gobble you up if they have a spot for you. So just something to keep in mind. And I say all that to say this, we're going to see a lot of guys get in the portal here in the next coming days and weeks. And the latest, real quick, seems like we've been talking about Texas A&M every day of show here. This is going to be brief on the Aggies. But uh, Caleb Chapman into the transfer portal here on Monday. A deep threat for the Texas A&M Aggies. You know, this is a, a surprise to me. I thought Caleb Chapman locked in here with uh, the Aggies. You know, we just had Travis Brown on the show last week talking some Texas A&M football, and he circled Caleb Chapman as player that's a potential breakout here for the Texas A&M Aggies. It's going to be somewhere else now. And uh, Ch Chapman was, of course, uh, you know, one of the big reasons why the Aggies upset Florida during the 2020 season. Florida at the time, top five, undefeated. The Aggies knocked the Gators off, thanks in large part to Chapman. Now, here's the thing with Chapman. Unfortunately for him, last two seasons only played in nine games, got banged up the last couple of years in College Station. So if he can stay healthy, he's a nice pickup for whoever gets him. But, you know, I think this is certainly a loss. I saw some Aggies kind of downplaying the fact that Chapman's leaving. But, yeah, we just saw in the spring game, Evan Stewart, offensive MVP. You got emerging talent all across the receiver position there in College Station, they'll be fine. But at the same time, you don't want to lose a guy of Caleb Chapman's, his talent and his experience. And the one guy on that roster that has been a legit deep threat for Jimbo Fisher's offense. Not saying there's not other guys on that roster that can't do it, but we've yet to really see it. So a little bit of a loss here for the Aggies exiting spring practice in College Station. Next, let's uh, kick it on down. A team we haven't been able to cover much. Let's go on down to Starkville, where Mississippi State held a scrimmage over the weekend. And I love the fact that uh, Mike Leach, he's opening up Saturday practices. I believe the, uh, this Saturday, this past Saturday, the upcoming Saturday, and the one after with the spring game, they're all open to the public. Of course, the spring game open to the public. But pretty cool that uh, Leach is opening it up for the fans, letting people come in. And according to accounts, people that were there, Will Rogers locked in QB1. Not that there was really any doubt down there, but uh, they do have a backup, Sawyer Robertson. Very touted prospect, one of the highest-rated quarterbacks Mike Leach has ever signed, and one of the uh, most highest-rated prospects, I believe, Mississippi State has ever signed. So he's coming along, but still, no doubt about it, Will Rogers, one of the most productive quarterbacks in the SEC last season. His his star is going to continue to rise there in Starkville. Playing for Mike Leach, played in the air raid in high school, so no stranger to this system. But uh, that, that's what you want to hear if you're a Mississippi State fan. And we know we got guys like Jaden Wally on the outside. But one guy that I have been waiting to make an impact, scored multiple touchdowns this weekend in the scrimmage. Mike Leach could not be any higher on the Starkville native Rufus Harvey, let's kick it over to Mike Leach. Rufus there had a couple touchdowns as well. Is he another guy you think can kind of add to that depth? Yeah, Rufus is uh, Rufus has been kind of uncanny good for a while, and uh, you know just needs to you know 
uh, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's had some, you know, he'll get on a roll and then all of a sudden something will happen, an ankle or something. And then, uh, but he's, uh, you know, he's played real well for the last, uh, you know, year really. And then, um, and, uh, you know, always finds the end zone. I mean, if Rufus gets enough reps, he's always going to find his way to the end zone, and that's a pretty good knack to have. Of course, in high school, Rufus was in the end zone all the time, too. So, you got Now, if you don't know Rufus Harvey, his, his story here, he's not been on the field much uh, in his college career. He's a smaller guy, five foot ten. He's listed five foot ten, 165 pounds for Mississippi State. He's a Starkville native, but this is the guy that uh, when he got picked up by Mike Leach and company there at Mississippi State. Perfect fit for this offense. Mike Leach has made a long, long history of getting these guys that maybe are, are undersized or you know not your prototypical college receiver and, and making highly, highly productive players out of them. So Rufus Harvey, one to watch as a potential breakout candidate for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And he's so beloved down there, even A.J. Brown, who, of course, Ole Miss fame, Starkville native. You know, he said he'll wear the Mississippi State gear as long as Rufus Harvey is down there at Mississippi State. Uh, their bond is pretty tight. But the, I just think that's pretty cool little backstory there. But, uh, you know, I think we keep saying Mississippi State, this is a team to watch, bringing back so much experience, so much production from last season. And you're getting added production from a young, emerging Redshirt sophomore like Rufus Harvey, the sky's the limit for this Mississippi State offense. It sounds like he was just unguardable this weekend, and Mike Leach seems to love this guy. Uncanny good, he says. But, you know, the big thing down there, nobody likes to talk special teams until they screw up. And last season, of course, that was a huge, huge issue for Mississippi State. Mike Leach's comments at the time gone viral. They brought in some transfers, get that – position up to speed SEC standard and uh, here's coach Leach on the progress of uh, Mississippi State's new kickers you know your thoughts on the kicking game what you've seen from those transfers so far well it's a lot better than last year (laughs) (laughs) you know I mean if I had any eligibility I'd have kicked last year You know it's bad if uh, over the offseason you're signing multiple kickers but that's what Mississippi State was forced to do after, I, I believe, 14 of 25 in field goals last season. That's just dreadful. Bringing in Coastal Carolina kicker Massimo Biscardi and Northern Colorado punter slash kicker Ben Rabin. So we got multiple options here this spring in Starkville. Hey, I'm rooting for the kicking game to get better at Mississippi State, but I'm not going to lie after playing those comments. Would have loved to seen Mike Leach out there suit up being all out of shape and uh, attempted field goals because he talks a big game. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, that would have been just perfect for the spring game if old, old Leach came out in gear and gave his shot at uh, kicking a 20-yard field goal or something and, and seeing him miss it by about 10, 15 yards, I bet. All right, another team we haven't been able to hit on much. Uh, let's kick it all day to Baton Rouge. My honor to present the national championship trophy to coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. We're, we're underway, of course, the first spring under Brian Kelly and so many moving pieces. You just, there's so much uncertainty across the board. Still, 
not really much of an update here on Keyshawn Butte. Where is he at? Again, that February 1 transfer rule, all of a sudden that uh, <laughs> if you're worried about losing Butte, you ain't going to be losing to an SEC school. That's for damn sure with that deadline pass. But who are we going to have at quarterback? What about the offensive line? Those are the two biggest issues looming in Baton Rouge after uh, the last couple of seasons of, of just inconsistently inconsistency on the offensive line. And now we bring it in quarterbacks from Arizona State and bringing Miles Brennan back. We've got some very, very young and talented quarterbacks in Nussmeyer and the five-star freshman Walker Howard. How are they doing here in their first camp of competition under Brian Kelly? Let's kick it over to the new LSU coach talking the quarterback competition. Just when it comes to those, those quarterbacks, uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from them for the first half of spring ball? Um, I think each one has some different um, traits and, and characteristics. They, um, they, all, um, they all can play here. Um, they all are not going to be able to play at the same time. <laughs> so we're going to have some, you know, some difficult choices to make. But, you know, each one of them, you know, has some, you know, different characteristics that kind of um, allude to what I mentioned in terms of I think each guy can do some things differently. And we're going to have to be, um, you know, putting together the offense to highlight their skill set. So it's been fun. It's been interesting to learn a little bit more about them. Um, and, and then it'll be our job to get the best out of them and tailor the offense accordingly um, to what their skill set is. So, of course, Kelly comes with a reputation being an offensive guy, being a guru, but more so than even quarterbacks, the position group that has really thrived under Brian Kelly during his college career is that offensive line. And interestingly, it seems like it's come together a little bit quicker than anticipated, and a lot of that has to do with a five-star true freshman, Will Campbell, locking down that left tackle spot. It's very, very, very rare that you see a true freshman come in and lock down such an important position, but I do not recall a time where a guy's basically seemingly locked it up in spring, in his first spring on campus. It sounds like Will Campbell's has done that and has allowed LSU to kind of focus on the rest of the offensive line and is helping solidify the, the ongoing competitions there in Baton Rouge. So let's kick it over to Brian Kelly on how the, uh, the progress of the offensive line. And he was asked a, a follow-up question on the outstanding freshman Will Campbell. Seems like, you know, you've been mixing and matching on the offensive line a good bit, just trying stuff out. Yeah. I guess, how has that been going? How are you feeling about that offensive line so far? You know, I, I think some pieces are starting to, you know, come together there. You know, we moved Campbell, you know, to the left tackle position. I think he's done a really nice job there. You know, it gives us a little bit more flexibility moving. You know, now, now you've got, um, you know, Dummerville and a wire, you know, to, to kind of tag team. Um, and, and, and so, you know, with Dellinger coming back, you know, he gives us now some flexibility that we could move him inside. Um, he can, you know, he played tackle last year. So, you know, it's starting to come together for us a little bit. You know, Turner's done a nice job at the center. You guys will get a chance to talk to him today about that. 
Um, we wanted to make him available primarily because of that, you know, because that offensive line is, you know, starting to, you know, you know, show kind of a little bit of consistency in terms of the guys that we're rolling out there. Um, so again, it's early, you know, we're seven, eight practices into it, but we are starting to see a little bit of consistency there. And I think it started when we, we decided to put the young guy at the left tackle position and things kind of fell into place from there. With Will Campbell, he's out there on the edge playing against guys like B.J. Ojolari and, and Ali Gay. What are the traits that really stand out about his ability to hold up against those guys so far as a, as a true freshman? Emotional maturity. You know, generally you come in as a freshman, you don't know where their maturity level is emotionally. They, if they get beat on a play, how do they come back the next play? Uh, is it going to affect them? He moves on to the next play. Um, and I just think it's an emotional maturity that he carries as a, as a freshman um, that's made him uh, a guy that we can plug in as, as such a young player. And you don't know until you do it because <laughs> he's going to have to have some failures and see how he handles himself. And he just bounces right back in there and, and gets after it. And so... That's kind of what we saw the first three or four practices. We wanted to, we wanted to make sure that, that he had that kind of maturity. And we saw it over three or four practices and said, all right, it's time. Let's get him in there. All right, so like I was saying, I mean, if Brian Kelly, and just go look at his track record there at Notre Dame, how many offensive linemen this guy helped develop, all Americans there for the Fighting Irish, got guys drafted in the NFL when he's – throwing down these comments on a true freshman, that's really something. So, hey, if nothing else, you come out of spring practice with your offensive line, your top five potentially settled, that would be a huge for this offense. Going into summer there in Baton Rouge, that would be huge and kind of narrow the focus to the quarterback competition, which you know they're not going to settle that thing this spring. They're going to let these guys go on well into training camp, I would think, before naming a starter for the season opener against Florida State. But we're still a little while away. We're basically at the midway point here, a spring practice at LSU. But liking what I'm hearing from Coach Kelly on two of the biggest question marks we had entering spring practice in Baton Rouge. Next, let's get on down to Gainesville. Thursday night, we'll have us a showcase game, Florida Gators. Now, it was here about two or three weeks ago. They announced they're moving the spring game, of course, from Saturday to Thursday evening. And, you know, I kind of hate that you do that to a lot of your loyal fans, made plans, planning to come to the trip. It's This is much more difficult for a lot of the people, particularly out-of-towners, to come in instead of uh, coming in on a Saturday, having to come in on a Thursday and you know, most people got to work on a Friday. So on the face of it, I don't, I didn't care for that move. But the more you think about it, I love the spring games at night. That's one positive. But you'll just look at the loaded schedule here on Saturday when it comes to spring games with Georgia and Alabama both having spring games on Saturday. Florida Gators, they're not on that level right now. And that's just the truth. That's where they want to be. That's where they deserve to be, according to the fan base, according to Billy Napier. But they just aren't on, on that level. And they are trying. And the, the only way to get there is to recruit, 
to the level to the elite level of Nick Saban's program, of Kirby Smart's program. And right now, if you're asking an elite prospect to choose to come to Gainesville over Athens or Tuscaloosa, that's a losing battle more often than not. Just getting them to campus. So by moving this thing to Thursday night, maybe there, there's going to be players now that uh, you know were already committed to coming to Athens, already committed to coming to Tuscaloosa. Now they'll make that trip to Gainesville because it's possible they won't be having to pick Florida over those other two. So at the end of the day, I like the way they're doing it, but I really like the format Billy Napier's using. He's been very clear this spring, not happy with the overall depth of the roster. Certainly they've got some players they can win with down there in Gainesville, but a lot of work to be done, and they're going to find out. Let's throw up the uh, the spring game format if you're watching here on YouTube. They're splitting into two teams, and they're basically using this entire week as prep for, for team Team A, Team B going head-to-head. It's like a game week going against one another. I don't know that I've heard that before, this kind of style of a spring game, but I love seeing that. On game day, the teams will run out of separate tunnels using home and away locker rooms. I love that. Four quarters, 15-minute halftime and a running clock with the exception of the last four minutes of each half. The clock will stop for penalties, which we'll get to in a minute. Change of possession and scores. Competition between the two teams will serve fans to experience a Gator game day at the Swamp. So, hey, I love the way that it's a, you know, it's a week-long competition down there for the spring game. And that's what they need because Billy Napier's got to find out who he can win with and who maybe they're better off leaving the program because we're opening the door to a lot of transfers this offseason there in Gainesville. But, uh you know, I don't want to say troubling comments here from Billy Napier, but it's very clear, and this is no surprise to Florida fans, but they have basically stripped that program down and they're building it back from scratch and they're doing it with an army of assists, 200 assistants, whatever. Zach Goodall said they got down there, but we had him on the show. But you're hearing a lot of these comments of needing players, challenging the players, competition. And one thing that uh, Billy Napier really hammered home here after Saturday's scrimmage was penalties. And you may roll your eyes and say, oh, God, here we go. We're talking special teams. We're talking penalties. Who gives a damn? But that is a difference between winning and losing. A lot of times, undisciplined team, that has been, unfortunately for the Gators, something that's been sticking with them the last couple of years, and it's cost them in big-time games. Billy Napier's coming from a Louisiana program that was one of the best in the country in having the fewest penalties where he has inherited a Florida program that had, that had, I believe he says, 119th in penalties last season, So which that's just abysmal. Here's Billy Napier on really working on that this spring in Gainesville. Yeah, on the point you were – you were just laying out the things that were important to you. I mean, penalties last year, I think you guys gave up like 32 – or gave up, had like 32 yards a game. So it, it's obviously super important for you. What are you talking about, Florida or Louisiana? I'm talking about Louisiana. Yeah. Florida was double that easily. Right. Um, were you aware of that, first off? Did you yeah, realize Florida had a lot of penalties? Yeah, Florida was 121st in the country in, pen, in penalties last exactly. year. Right. So, so how, how does a team – how do you emphasize that – and how do you get a team just to play that way? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the first way you win is you don't beat yourself, right? 
and you are, you completely control the things that have nothing to do with the opponent, right? So, you know, we're talking about undisciplined penalties. We're talking about taking care of the ball. We're talking about mental errors. Uh, from a coaching perspective, we're talking about positioning the players to have success, being a really sound concept, making sure that when we watch the tape that we have the answers to the test, right? So um, that's where you start, you know, when you're building a football team. Uh, we've always taken great pride in not giving the other team anything, right? They've got to earn every single thing that they get, right? And, uh, you know, when you talk about penalties, typically – um, you're going to have some technical fouls in a game, you know, but the undisciplined ones you want to eliminate completely, right? And, and we had too many today, right? So, um, you know, our goal is to play and have we – want, we want to be under one penalty in every 30 plays, right? So um, – and I can proudly say that typically in the past we've done that. You know, is our team ready to play that brand of football? No, right? But we don't play tomorrow, right? We don't play this week. We got time, so uh, we're we're in the process of uh, working hard on that, and that's my job as a coach. Based on those comments, again, it it just it reads to me that uh, you know this is you can't call it a total rebuild because hell, there's a lot of talent there in Gainesville, but we're certainly lacking depth, and we're miles away from where Billy Napier wants this thing to be. It's not going to happen overnight, but they've got to we again. They've got to weed out the players that want to that don't want to buy in, don't want to be here. And we're seeing guys even before the spring game leave the program. And you hate to lose it. You hate to lose depth, particularly when you need it. Like here, I mean, Billy Napier is making a point of that every week. But if they ain't fully bought in, they're not really there. Their depth doesn't matter because they're not going to see the field. They're not going to help you this fall and they potentially are, are holding up a spot for someone else that can come in and contribute. So are we seeing consistent growth? Yes, says Billy Napier, but uh, this, is, this is something that's going to take some time, and he continues to harp on the fact he's asked about the receivers. He basically says it's not just the receivers. It's everywhere on the roster at key positions. We are lacking players. We are lacking depth that we need to be successful in Gainesville. You've talked all, all spring about getting consistency. You're at 12 practices now. Have you seen a growth in that area? Have you seen it? Cons have you seen consistent growth? I guess. Yeah, no question. There's no doubt. I mean, I think the film this week has been much cleaner. You know, um, you know, I tell the staff all the time. I should be able to look at the script, okay, and look at the offensive play, look at the defensive call, and tell you what's going to happen. Right. That that's when we're coaching. Right. When we know. Hey, we call this running play against this coverage and this front. I know where the ball is going to go. I know who should make the tackle. You know, and I think that we're getting closer. Now, we we don't do that every play, obviously. You know, I think you could flip a coin probably that first week. Um, but I felt like the the tape last week was cleaner, right? In particular on defense, I thought we took some steps forward. Um, but overall, there's no doubt that the football's getting cleaner. Um, so, yes, I do think that we've consistently improved, you know. Another question has been the wide receiver position as far as getting consistent, getting people open. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing the separation, for example, in the passing game with the receivers? Are they getting open consistently? 
Yeah, I think we have, you know, I think we have a, a group of players that I think can play winning football, if that makes sense. Uh, there's a handful of players in that room that I think we could run out there and we could depend on those guys. They can do their job. They can play winning football for Florida. We need more. Does that make sense? Uh, but I, I do think overall, I think we've got some guys that can execute and do their job. Now, how many? You know, I think that's where we're at. You know, how many guys? I think that's really they're a reflection of the entire team, right? I think the team as a whole lacks depth. Uh, we need more players that can do their job consistently and play winning football, right? Um, we, we, the receiver position is much like every position on our team, right? We, we got a good group of ones we can run out there. We got a couple twos. That, I w that we would put in the game, and then after that, um, I think we, we've got improvement. Um, we need improvement. So, again, th uh, this was not hitting the panic button, but we've seen Lane Kiffin make similar statements this offseason. We have – this spring is being used to evaluate our needs on the roster that we can attack in the transfer portal. And I think uh, I think the, the one SEC roster, you know, you're not going to – completely you're not going to turn it over completely during the summer that'd be ridiculous but I think Billy Napier is quickly finding out exactly where they need to attack in the portal and uh, this week is probably going to give him his uh, final bit of pieces of information he needs to really identify which players are not going to make it on this roster and which which positions they really really need to attack in the transfer portal uh, between now and, and May 1 deadline when all these players are likely going to enter that transfer portal. Now, last team sticking here in the SEC East. Let's kick it on down to Rocky Top. Where them Vols had a uh, scrimmage of their own on Saturday. It was, was kind of weird how they did it, if you don't know. Of course, Tennessee fans, you're well aware, they're doing renovations right now to Neyland Stadium. They're trying to get that done in time for the upcoming college football season. So no spring game. The facility was not open to them. They held somewhat of a scrimmage there on the practice field, but a lot of the key players either limited or did not participate. So, you know, I can't read too much into anything we saw there on in Knoxville over the weekend with, uh, with the roster in the state that it currently is this spring in Knoxville defensive backs, Across the border, out, still trying to find our way there. This certainly seemed like a a situation where Josh Heupel really wanted to get a lot of his backup quarterbacks, get them plenty of reps. I believe Hendon Hooker only had one or two series, and then uh, basically sat the thing out. But we talked about Jalen Hyatt and his emergence this off season. Everybody knows Cedric Tillman, one of the best, if not the best, returning receiver in the SEC. Brew McCoy. The Southern Cal transfer, I in Tennessee, that could come at any point in time. You know, we're, we're starting to see weapons here emerge on the outside. But one guy, we got to give him credit if he can bounce back and make an impact on this roster. Very, very talented player. Someone under Jeremy Pruitt, they were singing the praises. They were happy they got him. And this is a guy they had to fight hard to keep away from Kentucky. Kentucky was pitching this guy on being the next Lynn Bowden. And I'm talking Jimmy Callaway, who barely played last season. Five catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Played in three games, started, 
against the Florida Gators, had some bad drops, and we never saw him again. Now, anytime a new coach takes over and you see something like that, it's safe to assume, hey, they ain't buying in. The coach doesn't like the fit. This guy needs to transfer out. What well, hasn't happened? And after the scrimmage here, Josh Heupel singing the praises of Jimmy Calloway and the, the progress he's made, the talent he has. This is another guy that Tennessee really, really needs to step up. They're going to need playmakers to emerge. The way they run this system, you know, having by the end of last season, they only had three or four receivers they could trust. If they can up that to five, six, seven this season, the tempo they go out, it could make all the difference in the world to have fresh receivers that, that, that can be counted on. And Jimmy Callaway is one you got to watch as a potential breakout candidate in year two under Josh Heupel. And I'm sure he's looking at Cedric Tillman and what he was able to do in this system. I'm sure he's looking over there at Jalen Hyatt and seeing the progressions he's making this spring. He's seeing all these freshmen come in. If, you don't, if I don't work, these guys are going to take it from me. So let's kick it over to Josh Heupel on the emergence of Jimmy Callaway this spring at Tennessee. Josh, what do you think about the playmaking potential of Jimmy Callaway when you see him make a play like that? <laughs> uh, great, great play by him. Uh, obviously has uh, so many athletic skills and traits and, and uh, you know, just the growth and evolution of, of him as a player. But it speaks to a lot of the, the young players that we have inside of our program. Excited for him to perform in that way. What, what kind of spring has, has Callaway had? I know last year, you know, he didn't go the way he wanted it to go, uh, especially later in the year. How's he bounce back from that this spring? Yeah, uh, today was probably his best day uh, on the grass, and, and uh, you want that in those competitive situations for them to, to rise to, to their best performance. Uh, you know, for Jimmy, um, so talented, right, and, and the way he approaches and does everything you know, in his life, but on the practice field in the meeting room is going to take him to, to maximizing his talent. He's a guy that inside of a program we have uh, high expectations for. Uh, he's going to continue on that growth, and, and uh, it was great to see him perform the way he did today. But it wasn't just a scrimmage that Tennessee had on Saturday. They had their five-star quarterback, Nico, came to town with his seven-on-seven -seven group, and, man, the, the city was buzzing there with uh, any time your five-star quarterback come to campus, and he was not alone, came with uh, five-star receiver Carnell Tate, four-star Arizona receiver Kyle Casper was in town, tons and tons of recruits on campus coming with Nico to take in this uh, spring scrimmage that was sort of kind of the spring game there for Tennessee. And, man, it was – even Cam Newton came into town. It was pretty wild. So that's kind of the buzz that uh, Tennessee is is using their five-star quarterback, Nico, as front and center of the recruiting charge. It's pretty wild to see uh, that, uh, hey, if, if Tennessee is going to make some, some noise here on the recruiting front, it's going to be because of Nico. And, they, hell, they already have made some strides, but they need pieces around him to build this into a top-five class. And, hey, uh, following this weekend, Tennessee did get a commit. just want to give this guy a shout-out because I – I can't recall seeing stats this ridiculous, but uh, Nathan Robinson, an in-state lineman, picked Tennessee over Ole Miss and Kentucky. He had 23 sacks as a junior for Greenbrier High School here. So, man, 23 sacks. He's only rated as a three-star. I don't know how many sacks he needs to uh, elevate his rankings there, but uh, pretty wild stat there. 23 sacks, I'll say again. I mean, 
who's this Reggie White Jr. out here? So, but that's all I've got on this episode of the show. I do have a couple guests lined up for the show this week. Should make for a really, really solid week of guests coming on the on the show. And we may even get Cousin Shane back on the line on the next episode. So that's the plan, at least. And you just never know with that guy what uh, the plan could change any moment. But I say all that to say this. Don't go anywhere. We're still going to have loaded shows the rest of the week. We got to enjoy the spring action while we can because before long it'll be over and we'll be back to list season so i do appreciate each and every one of you particularly here in uh, the middle of april hanging out with us but that's going to do it for this episode of the show appreciate each and every one of you we'll catch you on the next one